0: Stephen Smith is the recently retired president of Australia's oldest and biggest sporting institution, the Melbourne Cricket Club. This is a story of a young man's rise from a suburban high school to MCC boss via the Melbourne Football Club. Hello, Mr. President. Oh, sorry, it's not Mr. President anymore. It's just plain old Smudge Smith these days, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, Mike. It's only uh, Smudge. And
1: Smudge is, uh, in fact, Gary Baker gave it to me in the late 70s, and I never knew what it was about until a couple of years ago I was um, listening to the radio and I heard Kerry Keith call Steve Smith the cricketer smudge. And he then explained that all Steve Smiths apparently are called smudge because of the blacksmith sort mm-hmm. of the origins back in, in England. So, yeah, smudge it's always been, or smudger.
0: We learn something every day, yeah? Here, yeah. yeah. Um, you and I go back to 1975. Yep. I was a shy young boy at the Melbourne Age. Uh-huh. You were the first product of the Little League to play AFL and I came and interviewed you the day after you suffered a broken nose, does this ring a bell? She's yeah. your handsome boy. Yeah, no. Um, I
1: remember that really well because Mum um, hated the fact you brought the photographer <laughs> with the fish-eye lens. It's probably one of the worst photos going around. The hair was doing a bit, but then I guess mullets were the fashion then. So, how about that kicking style? Are oh, you yeah, happy no, with that? Was, uh, there was no footy involved in the kicking style. It was just <laughs> but I did win the Little League uh,
0: long kick for that uh, for the year. Well, you, you obviously were a very talented young man. I mean, you played league football at 17 yeah. and you were gone just before your 29th birthday. Yep. Was that because of your legal studies? Uh, it was, um, and plus injury, but I'd just
1: been made a partner at a firm called Phillips Fox, now DLA Piper, and I was really struggling to do both. Um, and I'd got a bit of an inductor injury, so I was in and out of the team a bit. And, you know, for instance, I was getting to a game... Not having studied who I was playing on. And I remember one game at Footscray where I had to buy the footy record to actually work out who I was playing on, work out whether it's left or the right. And I figured that day, I said, you just can't play footy and compromise to try and combine the two like well, the way I was working it, um, as a lawyer.
0: Only if, if you're Gary Ablett, you can do that. Yeah. But but not if Gary you're anyone Ablett, else, yeah. 203 games in yep. 12 seasons. Mm. Why are you smirking? You know where I'm going to go here, don't you? Mm. Uh, are best and fairest, <laughs> both those paled into insignificance to one other fact, didn't they? Yep. Do you yep. know what it is? Yes, yeah. The only other stat, apart from being the first Little
1: leaguer to play, was there's only four guys who've played more than 200 games that have never played in a final, and I'm mm. uh, on one of those four with Trevor Barker and Jeff Cunningham from St Kilda and Gary Hart and myself, and, and the, the difficulty with that was that, you know, four or five years later when Dermot Beredin sort of started his career. and his first eight years of footy, he played in seven grand mm. finals. So mm. in those days, it was all zoning, so it just depends where you live. And unfortunately,
0: you know, Melbourne, we just went through a pretty ordinary patch of footy. In your entire career, you played in 62 wins out of 203 games. I didn't know that.
1: No, But it felt like that, because we were... In those days, you didn't have the salary cap, you didn't have the draft. So the good teams just got stronger, they had more money. And... Our top 12, 13, 14 players were always pretty good, but it was the bottom five or six that we couldn't hide and we just couldn't quite get there. Although under Skilts, we almost made the finals. Yeah, you missed by half a
0: win. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: think there was a draw out at Waverly 20, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, we were in because we'd beaten Collingwood at Collingwood, but um, yeah, there was a draw that meant we missed out. That was 1976. Yeah. You were a big ref for Bobby Skilton, the coach, weren't you? Oh, I love Bobby.
0: Why? What made him... Oh, he's just a, a beautiful... He's
1: a beautiful man yeah. and he related to me and it was was oh, He was my first coach and he really took me under his wing and encouraged me um, and I just thought he was, you know, he's just a, a great, great man. Look, he looks pretty rugged there, doesn't he?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, he, he, even when he was coaching, he, you know, he stabbed passing left foot, right foot. He's just... Uh, he was a freak of, uh, of football. footballer. Yeah.
0: Remember I told you earlier I had a stat that I just couldn't wait to lay out in front of you. Yeah. Melbourne played Hawthorne 20 times in your career... You, the first 18, Melbourne lost. Mm. Your first win against Hawthorne came in the 19th game. Were you aware of that? No, there were
1: some teams we always struggled, and Hawthorne was certainly one of those. I didn't realise there was that many. But um, they, were, oh, they were huge in those days too. They were going through that phase when you know, they had the Dermot and the Ablets and the, the Tucks and others. They were a super
0: side and we were struggling. I think it was your 11th year before you beat Hawthorne. There's another memory or nightmare from a Hawthorne game for you, isn't there? A game at Princess Park, Hawthorne playing Melbourne. You are at full-back, mm. guarding the great Lee Matthews. Yep. And you suddenly went to sleep. Yeah, that was... Um, yeah, I'm still a bit dirty about that. I've never really
1: spoken to Lee over the years, but it was literally a kick-and-a-half behind play. And from what I understand, I got, I was knocked out. I was carried off on a stretch, and I, so I don't know what happened, but from those who were there... I was playing on him, I was actually beating him, and I just took it as a bit of a compliment that I was actually beating him, but it was a long way off the play. And I've always heard Lee say afterwards that he never apologised because he he never wanted others to apologise. And I understand that when it's in play. When it's in the action, you're ready for it, you're expecting it, but not when it's a kick and a half behind. And that was disappointing, but um, it's funny, though, I remember my mum seeing him in the supermarket a couple of years afterwards <laughs> and chasing him down the aisles, giving him a serve. So Is that
0: true? She was yeah. never happy about that. So. And so she did verbalise him. Any, yeah. any response from Lee? Oh, not, I don't think so. I think no. he just head down. You were KO'd, weren't you? Yep. Do you know for how long?
1: Oh, I think it was about 15, 20 minutes. I can't remember, save I've seen the photos of being carried off from stretcher. In your role as MCC President, surely Lee's been your guest at different times? Oh, we've bumped into each other, but... We've never spoken, and I wouldn't expect him necessarily now. And it's you just one of those resist? things. No,
0: no, no, no. Okay. You better go. There's, it no, there's no lingering. No, no, no. It's just one,
1: He is one of, if not, as I've heard quoted, if not the best player that's ever played the game, and incredibly tough and incredibly skillful. It's just occasionally, once a year, there's a side where he'd just flick the switch and he just lose that sort of control. And and there's been, obviously, the, the instance of the time where he. Clearly, I think we'd probably regret some of those, and doubt. I think this would be one of them. Yeah, but no doubt. No there's doubt. no point dwelling on it. It was just one of those things that happened. And look, I was playing the next week. I had a broken nose and I was out cold, but I recovered okay.
0: You have the dubious distinction of introducing the word alopecia to uh, VFL, then VFL football. Explain. Alopecia is baldness. Yeah. Alopecia is, um, you can get in different types, but fundamentally
1: it's an autoimmune system, which means your mind's literally rejecting hair. And I remember coming back from a uh, end-of-season footy trip and there was a little patch on the chin and I went to see the dermatologist, Peter Sinclair, who played for Melbourne, and he said it was alopecia. And he found another one in the scalp. Well, within three weeks, I'd literally lost all my hair. And I'd, I'd pull out hair and be 200 hairs in my mm-hmm. hand and... The pillow over morning would have a thousand hairs on it, and you know I went from a, you like said before, big mop of hair yeah. to literally having tufts. So in those days, it wasn't really cool to be bald. Like nowadays, you just shave it off, shine yeah. your your your, uh, your skull, and you're, you're happy to go. But then it wasn't cool either to be a lawyer or football with that. So I went into a bit of a, a spiral. I sort of took footy off. It was pre-season, so I said to Brass, I said, look, I need just time off. So I did spec- you just tell him why? Yeah, I, yeah, and he told all the guys, although yeah. he did explain it as an illness, which some thought they might have been able to catch it. But it's mm. sort of, in essence, I went away for a month to try and get my head around it, and I was really depressed because there's no rhyme or reason as to why you get alopecia. It's an autoimmune, as I said, and something can trigger it. And basically, it wasn't until one night there was a knock on the door after Monday night training, and there was a dozen of the guys there that arrived with three slabs on their shoulders, mm. and we spent a night chatting, and that dragged me out of it. And then I went off and got a wig. Of my own hair and a helmet because, as I said, wasn't I wasn't comfortable in bald. And and whilst you're in the goldfish sort of of scrutiny of every the footy public, footy clubs are great in those instances. The tough love. So the first time of training, I walked in and the wig the boys already decided they were going to call it Morton Morton the <laughs> wig. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. it was high smudge, high Morton. Yeah. And um, I remember one training session we're doing circle work and I went through the centre of the ground and picked up the ball and kicked it. And all of a sudden all the boys were on their knees, you know, belly laughing. And I walk around, there's Morton in the centre circle, <laughs> bolt upright with the headband which I used to wear on. So Morton was having a break. So it was always <laughs> through the tough love it sort of got me through it. Um, and fortunately through cortisone and um, the hair regroup. So so no known cause for your... For, for no, the... my grandmother had it when she was about the same age. But there are some... Mill Hannah came along Points. five, ten years later yeah, and well played with... You know, Bald chrome, and he
0: he has totalis, which means it doesn't grow back. Mm-hmm. So um, there's plenty of people around that have got it. How long between the start of the alopecia and and the um, and when it was ended? Oh, look, it never really ended for about four or five years. It took nine long? months
1: to regrow, and even now you know, there's a patch here and a patch there. You don't take it for granted, but um, it's just one of those things that sometimes it's hereditary, sometimes it's stress. But mine, I think, was more hereditary because. The stress hadn't changed.
0: Did you wear a helmet to
1: keep the, yeah. uh, the wig on? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much it. And I only had a problem with a couple of the full forwards, BT and uh, Jacko. were tried to rip it off all the time. But the other boys were pretty protective as well, so
0: we got through that. So I was going to ask you about the, the attitude of opposition players. Yeah. It's a very sensitive thing. or It was then, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was. And, and, and What did BT r- do? Oh, no,
1: they, just, you know, they were just trying to get into me by trying to rip the helmet off and sort of embarrass me. But that's OK. That was so all, they I all knew was, it was a known yeah, yeah. fact oh, it was, yeah, it was in footy circles. Bruce Matthews did an article because I felt it was better to have it out in the open than yeah. not. So yeah. he uh, did an article on it and explained what it was.
0: You played with some pretty good players, despite the fact that Melbourne had such a lean time in your career. Yep. Robbie Flower, yep. Jared Healy, Peter Moore, lots of yep. Peter Giles, lots yep. of blokes' names come to mind. Yep. Who, was, who did you enjoy most watching? Every Melbourne sport, I think that's all they came to watch was Robbie Flower. Mm.
1: Short was just a freak. He was skinny, a little hunched, um, had to wear the Coca Cola glasses because he couldn't quite see. He could never bench press pre season. You'd often see him in the gym with he couldn't get the weights off his chest. <laughs> we had to help him get off the He had no mm. strength, but he was he almost had another sense when he was out there the ability to avoid being tackled, to just the beauty, the grace of him um, across the pack to take a mark and to to weave and uh, avoid being tackled. He was just fantastic. You know, full forward, or centre-half forward when I was playing, I used to watch him with awe. Yeah. It was just
0: fantastic. You you started as a forward, didn't yep. you? Uh, yeah. And, and when I was researching you, I must say I was genuinely surprised that you kicked three bags of seven goals, one of which came in 1980 when the Tigers won the flag, and it was against Francis Burke. For seven years I played centre-half forward, and
1: there were... Probably half a dozen, five goals and six goals as well. But my issue was consistency. And that was that's one of the regrets I have now is, as a kid, I was always, football was easy. And then coming through, I was sort of at a similar level to Robbie as regarded by the club. And then, but consistency was one. Now, I, w- I had the skill, I had the height, I could run, I could, good hands, but I just wasn't consistent enough. But when Barass came in 81, he put me at full back. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had to focus, had to mm. run hard because you can't, you can't sort of ease off there. And in the first year, I won the best and fairest. But I, you know, ball because was the up ball your end <laughs> <do> that year. <laughs> we won one game and yeah. the ball was always down uh, our end. So I think I, I won by yeah, some ridiculous amount, 130 votes or something rather.
0: So what was the Barassi rationale when he came to you and said, Roddy, you've played forward for seven years, we're sending you back? Well,
1: I think he saw, he's very per- uh, perceptive, brass, And I think he saw that he needed me to be... Focused under pressure a bit more to, to really... And, and he saw the... I guess I was fairly mobile, so I could play... And every team in that era had a good full forward. Mm. Every team except Melbourne. And you're playing against the Abbots the Dunstalls, the Lockets the the Salmon's the Beasleys, the... You know, it goes on. You know, Malcolm Blights. Everyone had a good full forward. Mm. So Gilesy and I were the two that sort of took it in turns to sort of take off the superstars.
0: You you had a feisty relationship with Ron, didn't you? Brass... Because you you're a placid bloke, but, but my... People who I know say that you and he locked horns quite a bit. But I think
1: that was his way of trying to get me fired up. And I I look back now and he used to always get into those that he knew could actually cope with it and would respond. You know, it was Jared Healy, there was Shane, there was Maury. The the guys that he knew he could really and he needed to fire up and in the same breath and he'd be doing that in front of everybody and intimidating the hell out of the young bikes as, you know, getting stuck into us – but Brass always wanted me to do more and be
0: more, and and I respect that, but, yeah, we used to go toe-to-toe a fair bit. Did he push you to the point of you having open warfare with him in a verbal sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, but he did that. He used to love that. He used to love... And that's what he wanted you to do, is get so fired up. He wanted me to get fired up more often and sort of really um, sort of get angry, and he was good at that. There was a perception that you should have been captain of that footy club, and you weren't. Robbie is... And, uh, and was and is still regarded as one of the, you know, the great players of the Melbourne Footy Club, and everyone loved him. And he was a great um, person as well. He wasn't a natural leader, mm. um, but he was he was the person that everyone looked up to and around the club. So it was always hard when Robbie was there. But in the same breath, I probably didn't push myself as hard as you said. Maybe I could have been a little bit more assertive, uh, but that's my personality.
0: Did you think you should have been? And did no, you? No, I it?
1: don't think I should have been, but I mm. could have been. I think if I'd actually pushed myself a bit harder to impose myself. Did you want it? Not
0: particularly, no, because I love Robbie. Everyone loved Robbie. Mm. Just one last question on the other Stephen. You were, quote, a man about town at that time. How did you handle it psychologically? I struggled big time, really struggled, because as I
1: said before, I'd had it pretty easy. I'd just won a Best and Fairest two years earlier. I was driving an RX-7 with little white lights that come (laughs) up, so I was pretty happy with myself at that stage, and I was (laughs) I had a um, my girlfriend Karen West at the time was you know so I sort of it hit me pretty hard um, and the prospect of playing in front of you know the public and in that fishbowl really did do my head in and and I was depressed for a while did you ever seriously contemplate not playing absolutely but like anything you just you just got to grieve a little and get through it and as I said the footy club and the tough love was fantastic. The guys were just, yeah. That's what. I wouldn't have got through it as easily if I wasn't
0: part of that football club culture. And what about the expert advice from, from the dermatologist? Could he encourage you and sort of say, look, just yeah. bear with it, it'll come yeah. good?
1: Well, it, it, there was no, certainly it would come good. But I think psychologically I would have got used to it, like Mill Hannah did. Mm. Um, and eventually I would have come through. But when you're not expecting it, and it comes in the space of three weeks, it just,
0: you know, it was hard. I know you knew that your teammates knew, but yeah. the reality suddenly steering in the face, as it were. When, well, when it came off. When it came off. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. you leave the ground? No, no, no. No, it
1: was just it, because by that stage I was a, a little sort of hardened to it because I'd been, you know, it was about three or four weeks in and it was more that um, they all thought it was a hoot, so it was in that context. So it was just, yeah, it was great. And what was the best sledge? Can you remember? Oh, no, even today they still want to know how Morton is. When I catch up (laughs) for a drink with the boys, how's Morton? I said, he's tucked away in a box. Hopefully I don't need him anymore. (laughs) you still got it? Yeah, yeah, Yeah? still got it.
0: Melbourne Cricket Club, your membership of the Melbourne Cricket Club Came via your service to the footy club, correct? Yep. 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 So when. You're a boy from McKinnon. McKinnon, Yeah. Mum and dad
1: got married when they were 17, 18. You know. And dad was an apprentice electrician. He didn't know what Melbourne Cricket Club was, let alone you had to put your your son down as an MCC member. So I had no real sense of the MCC. But the footy club was a legal part of the cricket club until 1982. So all those Premiership Cups are legally owned by the cricket club. But. 82, the footy club became um, a separate organisation. But what the cricket club did is, and still does, is um, for the Melbourne Footy Club, if you played five years and 50 games, you got uh, preference at the ballot, which means you got offered membership. Now it's 100 games, and through that, I managed to get the um, MCC membership, and also through that, the cricket club always had two of their committee on the footy club board as directors. So I got to know them really well as well. So I was very lucky in some ways I didn't have the success at Melbourne but Melbourne's a fantastic football club. It's the oldest, it's, it's got great history and through the connection with the career club it's been fantastic for me. When did you join the committee, the MCC? 98.
0: 98. Yep. And you've just finished a three-year term as president? Uh, four years. Four years. Four? Is yep. four. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just last week. Did you reflect at any time when you, when this is happening and unfolding in front of you and suddenly You are. It's a very august institution, the MCG. Look, I was...
1: I'm incredibly humbled by the whole thing because the MCG itself has been so important in my life. You know, I played there for 12 years, trained five times a week at the G, played every second week, and then I've been on the committee for 20 years. You know, some of the meetings at the career club, I'd still go late at night. I'd sit in the seats and listen because they had the heat lamps, and the heat lamps make this grinding noise. It's almost like the ground's alive mm. and I still love the ground. You know, Anzac Day for that minute silence. Um, the roar before the grand final. It's, there's some amazing moments and that, that, for, that sporting stadium is, I think, the best in the world. And I've just, to be heading that up as the president with, for a ground that everybody loves, you know, I was incredibly humbled and it, it is
0: the best job in the world. What's your most cherished moment at the G? The most cherished moment yeah. at the G. I mean, you've seen some big events there, haven't you, over the journey? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean on, in the
1: context of the in yeah, the committee? Any, just the, your memory. Oh, I love your Joe favourite Biden. memory of Joe Biden was a lot of fun. He's the U.S. Vice President that came out last year, oh, the year before, and he played rugby as a kid over in the states. And he went out to bounce the ball. and went out with Gill and Mike, and basically, there it is. There it is. There it is. See, so we're hitting you. <laughs> okay. He's a great man. He and he played rugby. He got out in the middle. And he said you reckon I could kick this because he was used to kicking the ball through rugby and just a really good guy. Um, but there's just so many things with the concerts, the the state of origin, the you know the, the cricket, the footy games. It's just, I just love that ground. Well, the concerts, tell me, did you go to all those? Yeah, I, I even went to the wrestling last year, which is fantastic.
0: Because that's part of your role, isn't it? Your... Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, our role is to try and get content and mm. that's why getting, um, I didn't go to Eminem, but... And my wife did, and Josh, mm. and um, but um, I went to, I've been to a few of them, um, Bon Jovi earlier, but that's what the ground's so good at. It can, it, even the um, the artists that go there think it's amazing because of the size of it. I had the um, the general manager of Arsenal a couple of years ago walk through the ground midweek, no event on, and he came back to Stephen Goff at the time and he said. This is the most awesome stadium I've mm. ever been in. Not just the size, but the history. Because as you walk around, you can see the cricket bats and the mm. honour boards and the portraits, and you can feel how old it is. It's 160 years old, and it's just... And we keep trying to maintain the history and modernising it. We've just spent um, $50 million on a Wi-Fi upgrade and the um, the smart stadium technology, and and we're just about... With the AFL deal last year, now we can, in 10 years' time, rebuild the Great Southern Stand to connect to Richmond Station and hopefully across to Amy and, and make sure it stays the best sporting stadium in the world. Uh, 115,000 members? No, 130,000. 130,000. And
0: 215,000 on the waiting list. Wow, that's yeah. amazing, is it? That's a great club. And I, all, those, all those people on the waiting list have paid a minimum 110 bucks, and now 135 Correct. So it's still, and the thing I I get annoyed about is when
1: I hear that the cricket club is elitist, Mm. it's not. No. It's not, because anybody can join. All it needs is two members, and if people don't know two members, they come to the club. The club will sign them up and put them on the list. And we introduced a new category of membership three years ago, four years ago now, to open it up a bit. So provisional members, they can't come to the Blockbusters, but they can come to the other 41 games of the year, and... And it's keeping it at the
0: waiting list about 20 years, which is okay. That's okay. Wow. For so you, know that, that waiting list, when you the nomination fees are 100, now 135, right? You multiply that by uh, thousand It's 22 and a half million bucks. Yeah, but it's only one off. You don't do it each year. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> oh, but it. oh I'll money, take it all back then. all our money goes into making the ground better. So we're not for profit. So w- my role is all, always honorary. Every committee member is honorary. It's all about putting money back that's why we can spend the money we can making sure the mcg is the best going around what how much
0: money would the mcg generate in a year oh it has a turnover around about 150 150 mil it's It's a significant
1: business but it's got such a diversity of roles because we are the manager ground manager of the ground and have been and the other thing that i want to mention is that The members, the MCC members' subs have fundamentally paid for each of the 18 grandstands that have been rebuilt in the 160-year history Mm -hmm. of the club. The Northern stand, the $464 million one in 2006, was funded by members' subs, MCC members' subs. So we pay off the debt and we'll be paying off the, the vast majority of the billion dollars that we'll have to borrow for the new stand. So it's the relationship. In return, we get a lease of our area, but it's a really important role that the club's played. In the success of the Melbourne Cricket Ground.
0: Your regime did a deal with the Andrews government to secure the grand final for the MCG until 2055? 57, it's 40 Two, years. 2057. Yeah, yeah. As an ex footballer yeah. and someone who belonged in a footy club administration originally, what do you say to people who either come from Perth or Adelaide or Sydney and say, we've got stadiums that can? occupy, uh, provide for 60,000 people. What about if there, for argument's sake, Fremantle played West Coast in the grand final? Haven't they got a right to say the no. grand final should be there? No, I don't agree. I,
1: I understand the view, I understand people have that view, but the fact is the MCG is probably of all the grounds the most neutral. We went across to watch at Optus for the Melbourne West Coast. It wasn't the prelim one before, and when you got 50,000 um, reserve seats to the locals and four or five, for the, it's, I think travelling elsewhere is an unfair advantage. I think the MCG is as close to a neutral ground as you can get. The travelling, yes, they have to work out to give the, the visiting sides more time, but it is the best ground in the world. That's where the people, and I think most of the players, would prefer to play the grand final at the MCG. Okay. In any event, it's a
0: non-argument because we've got it there until 2057. I understand that, but I'm talking about it under the heading of fairness. I mean, you talked about it being neutral. Last year, Collingwood would have played, I'm thinking, 10 or 12 games at the MCG. Hmm. West Coast played... Two, did they not, before the grand final? Do mm. you think that's neutral?
1: Well, it's, it's more from the fan perspective, the, the support. Basically, the size of Optus is pretty much the same size as MCG. There's not much difference there. Um, I just think it's as fair as you'll get. And as I said, I think the players enjoy playing on it. And it is a unique stadium. It's one of the best in the world. And as I said, it won't change now. So uh, we need to move on because we're, it's mm. locked in for
0: 2027. OK, OK point taken. <laughs> now that you're out of the MCC, uh, how vocal will you be in your support of the Melbourne Footy Club? I mean, are you, are you a passionate Melbourne yeah, supporter? Yeah, yeah no, I am. I am. I, I'm not a good supporter. I get too anxious about them. But
1: Ange and I will go and watch. Occasionally i go to the committee room, but more often off we're happy to sit, sit in the outer and just watch them. And Oh, I love them. Who do you most like watching play in the red and blue at the moment? Oh, I love um, Clayton Oliver. Because hmm. I just see the upside with him. Because at the moment... Sometimes his handballs are a little bit too quick without... Um, but once he finds he's got
0: more time, he, he's just he's just got that fantastic, natural, competitive instinct in him. Did you think you blokes had enough ambition in your time? That's a fair that's a fair call. I think that's what Brass used to get so, um,
1: so annoyed with, um, that we weren't driven to succeed. And there's a little bit, I think, as you said before, 62 out of 200, I didn't realise that. But when you get beaten on a regular basis does take, you know, it's, it's harder to sort of kick yourself out of that um, because you get into that sort of mindset. So, yeah, we, we
0: could have and should have, but we didn't. Did you think you, you bled enough after a game, if, after another loss? Did you remember looking back and sort of thinking, we, this is just intolerable, we, we yeah, can't no, continue look, like and this? To be
1: fair, we, were, we would think that, but did we really follow through on it? Not as much as we probably should have. I remember we had a players' room and Carl Dittrich's coach at the time banned Kahlua and milk because we'd go up the players' room and drink cooler milk. He thought we weren't... What sort of milk? K- Kahlua and milk.
0: Yeah. But what it was, were you doing
1: drinking that? I don't know. It was a phase at the time. So, But um, I think, yeah, we, we, we didn't really want it enough, which is, I guess, yes. disappointing. What's your
0: favourite moment as a player?
1: Oh... Look, it, it's the first game, and I remember everyone saying, you get the first kick, you'll be fine. And Crackers, Keenan before the game, said he was always going to look after me. And I remember taking a <laughs> mark, John Scarlett giving me a whack, and I look up and I'm on the ground, there's Crackers running from the centre, frothing at the mouth. Um, he's, he's whacked Scarlett, free's been taken off. I didn't get a kick for the rest of the game, I was dropped the next week, and that was the sort of, you know, I thought my career was over. But it was Crackers, you know, it's, I guess it's just those times in footy where, you know, the great people sort of... You know, you know, look out for you.
0: Mm. It's been a great life for you, I reckon, so far. Sometimes when you live it you don't appreciate it. But the boy from McKinnon High who's gone onto the heights that you have, mm. both on the field and in administration and in law. So you're entitled to be very proud of it, mate, and it's good to catch up. Thanks Mike.